you may recall that in Genesis 24, we saw that God's providence serves God's purposes. What God has purposed, He works by His providence to accomplish. In Genesis 24, Abraham's servant sets out to find a wife for Isaac in order that God's purposes of making nations of Abraham and of blessing the world through Isaac's offspring might come to pass. And God's providence then in Genesis 24 makes a way for Abraham's servant's success. What God has purposed, He works by His providence to accomplish. So we spent one Sunday evening looking at Genesis 24 and seeing that God's purposes are served by God's providence. God's providence accomplishes God's purposes. Then in Genesis 25, and on another Lord's Day evening, we saw that God's providence is often surprising. God's providence accomplishes His purposes, but not always in the way that we would expect. God's providence is often surprising. We don't always understand how God's providence is operative, or why God did it one way and not another. In Abraham's life, as summarized in Genesis 25, we see that God chooses to work through the old woman, the old barren woman, Sarah, instead of the young, fertile woman, Hagar. He then chooses to work through another barren woman, Rebecca. He chooses the victim of bullying, the younger, weaker one, Isaac, instead of the stronger and older Ishmael who grows to be a warrior. And he chooses Jacob, the younger, over Esau, the older. And Jacob, frankly, the more conniving and probably less likable, frankly, biblical character or brother, right? Instead of Esau, the man's man that's out hunting and, you know. Though God's providence always serves His purposes, we don't always understand how God's providence is at work in the unfolding of human history. Why God did it one way or not another. So we've already seen a couple things about God's providence in the last few chapters. It's a major theme of this section of Genesis. And tonight... In Genesis 27, we see that God's providence extends itself even to sinful events. As the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith states, His determinate counsel extends itself even unto the first fall and all other sinful actions, both of angels and men. Chapter 5, paragraph 4 of our confession. In other words... Even when sinful things unfold, God is present and working out His purposes. In fact, stronger than that, God has decreed to work out His purposes through even the first fall. And through all the other sinful actions of both angels and men. Things happen as they were decreed to happen in order that God's purposes may prevail. 
In Genesis 27, we read of an event that is shot through with sin on the part of everybody involved. Some context to the story. We will recall that God has already said in Genesis 25 and verse 23 to Rebecca, the boy's mother, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. Keep that in your mind. Keep in your mind also that Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebecca loved Jacob. So there's a few problems there. One is parental favoritism. You shouldn't have a favorite kid. That's not good. But it's even less good to have a favorite kid because he makes you delicious food. If one was going to have a favorite kid, which I'm not condoning, presumably one should look for more noble things than that he simply brings me delicious food. But this is the way it is. It's presented to us this way in Scripture. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. And so when we come then to this passage, we read of Esau as being Isaac's son. And we read of Jacob as being Rebekah's son. We see that that's a dynamic that's at play as this parental favoritism is happening. So this is a little bit of context. And a little bit more context is that Esau has already sold his birthright to Jacob at the end of chapter 25. So, by right, Isaac should be blessing Jacob, not Esau, even though Esau is the firstborn. A transaction has occurred by which Jacob has become the rightful heir to that blessing. So this is all background. Genesis 27. Now we come to the story itself. In Genesis 27, Isaac is foolishly planning to bless Esau anyhow, in spite of the fact that God said, the older shall serve the younger. God has already said who is to be blessed. And Isaac is foolishly planning to bless Esau anyhow. In spite of the fact that Esau sold his birthright to Jacob. This is downright sinful on Isaac's part. He's not dealing rightly in the matter of the blessing. In fact, it seems that Isaac knows that he's not doing the right thing. We infer this from the appearance of acting secretively on Isaac's part in this chapter. First, we're given the impression that Rebecca merely overhears Isaac's plan to bless Esau. This is not a public blessing 
in the presence of the whole family. This is not something that he's deliberated with his wife about. It's not something that he's even discussed with her, apparently. He just tells Esau, go get some game and bring it, and I'm going to bless you. This seems to just be a covert thing, a somewhat secretive thing. It seems that Isaac knows that what he's doing is unjust and ungodly. And he's kind of just trying to do it under the radar, so to speak. Esau, as we've seen, is his favorite son. For the foolish reason that he likes the game he hunts. And so Isaac intends to bless him no matter what. Never mind that God has said the older shall serve the younger. Never mind that the older has sold his birthright to the younger. Never mind that. He makes good game. So he's going to bring me some game and I'm going to bless him. Then Rebecca concocts a sinful plan. She will help her son deceive her aging husband. Let's consider this plan. Jacob will drape the skin of young goats and the clothes of Esau over himself so that he will seem hairy and smell like Esau to the old man. And he will bring him young goats from the flock instead of venison from the field. That this plan actually works is proof of just how susceptible Isaac was to deception. Because listen, I have seen some hairy men, but I don't think I've ever seen anyone as hairy as a goat. <laughs> Alright, Isaac, Isaac is obviously vulnerable to deception. Let's just be frank here. The fact that Jacob can drape the skin of goats over his neck and over his hands and put on Esau's clothes and then bring him farm animals instead of wild game and Isaac presumably doesn't feel the difference between Esau's hairy body and the skin of young goats doesn't taste the difference between farm animals and wild game it seems very clear here that Isaac is vulnerable to deception and reprehensibly Rebecca schemes to exploit his vulnerability in order to put her favorite son forward. So, Isaac is sinful, Rebecca is sinful, and then Jacob does the reprehensible. He deceives his elderly father. In Deuteronomy 27 and verse 18, God says, Cursed be anyone who misleads a blind man on the road. We, we all know that. We all know that. If you were in town and you saw a blind man walking and people throwing obstacles in front of him so that he'll trip and fall, or if you heard him ask someone for directions and a group of young people start laughing and chuckling and one of them says, yeah, turn down such as... You know that that's evil. Clearly, God doesn't approve of Jacob's action in Genesis 27 as the principle behind this commandment that comes to us later in Scripture, in Deuteronomy 27, verse 18, is that we're not to exploit the vulnerable. God doesn't want us to exploit the vulnerable. But Jacob does just that. And moreover, he invokes God's name in a bald-faced lie. 
How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? Because Yahweh, your God, granted me success. This incident is a clear violation of God's law. On so many counts. As we look at it through the lens of the Ten Commandments, which I understand come later in biblical history, but which we know were operative even then. Jacob takes God's name in vain. He dishonors his father. He steals that which was intended for another. He lies. And all of this is precipitated by coveting. He wants the blessing inordinately. So much that he's willing to sin to get it. Jacob's action is wicked through and through. And then finally Esau is guilty of sin as he intends to murder Jacob. Verse 41. So the whole family, each and every member of the family is guilty of sin. But God's providence is at work. God's purposes are accomplished. The older shall serve the younger. All of this happens in Genesis 27, according to, as Ephesians 1.11 says, the purpose of Him who works out all things according to the counsel of His will. God is at work to accomplish His purposes even in the midst of this sinful event. In fact, stronger than that, God had decreed to work out His purposes through, by means of, this sinful event. That God's providence extends even to the sinful actions of men is the clear teaching both of our confession, which is less important, and the Holy Scriptures themselves, which is, of course, the decisive authority. (coughs) However, as our confession also states, and as the Scriptures also uniformly teach, it's important to acknowledge that God... As our confession says, being most holy and righteous, neither is nor can be the author or approver of sin. We see in this story, in the aftermath rather of this story, that Jacob is held responsible for his deception. Could we call it a coincidence? That the deceiver goes to his uncle's house and finds that his uncle is, in fact, just as conniving, if not more so, than he? Could we, could we just say that those two things are presented to us in succession in Scripture randomly? If we were not Christians, we might call this karma. But in reality, what this is, is God's fatherly chastisement, discipline. The deceiver is deceived. 
he'll get a taste of his own medicine. And he will learn over the next several decades of his life what it feels like to be on the receiving end of that in order that he might learn with time to do unto others as Christ teaches us as you would have them do unto you. To love your neighbor as yourself. Jacob is held responsible for his deception. God doesn't just uniformly bless even though Jacob is heir to the blessing even though Yahweh owns Jacob as his child Yahweh chastises and disciplines those whom he loves and we see that unfolding in the events of Jacob's life for many years to come God holds Jacob responsible for his actions and Rebekah is held responsible for hers Divine displeasure is communicated about Rebecca's actions by this means. This is the last we hear about her. Jacob leaves to go to Laban's family, and we don't hear anything else about Rebecca. That's it. Her death is not. Noted, even in passing. Divine displeasure is communicated here. So God, though He works out His purposes through these sinful actions, though He has even decreed to work out His purposes through these sinful actions, by means of these sinful actions, God doesn't condone these sinful actions. Throughout Scripture, God always holds people accountable for their sin. In fact, that's why we have the cross. Because God will always hold people responsible for their sin. If He didn't always do that, He could have just forgiven us without the cross. But God always holds people responsible for their sin. We see that even with respect to the cross. As Peter preaches in Acts chapter 2, he chides the men of Israel for killing Jesus. This Jesus, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. He goes on to say, repent. God counts those who killed Jesus as being responsible for the evil of killing Jesus. Just as God held Jacob responsible for his evil actions and Rebecca responsible for hers. When you sin, therefore, you are responsible for your actions. Not God. The doctrine of God's decree Determining all things whatsoever that come to pass does not excuse you from responsibility for your actions. And conversely, when people sin against you, they are responsible for their actions, not God. God's providence in unfolding events, including sinful events, in such a way so as to accomplish His purposes, does not excuse anyone 
for their sin. God, being most holy and righteous, neither is nor can be the author or prover of sin. Humans are responsible for our sinful actions, not God. Nevertheless, nothing comes to pass which is outside of God's providence. God is at work to accomplish His purposes even in the midst of sinful events. In fact, God has decreed even sinful events in order to accomplish His purposes. Some of us may have suffered horrible things at the hands of another. The doctrine that we see operative here in Genesis 27, that God's providence extends even to the sinful actions of men, ought not to make us trust God less on that basis, given that the sinful things that have been done to us were part of God's decree. Rather, on the contrary, the fact that God has decreed all things whatsoever come to pass, that His providence unfolds everything whatsoever that comes to pass, ought actually to make us trust God all the more. Because it teaches us this, that there never is, there never has been, and there never shall be, An event in your life over which God is not in control. In which you are not under His care. Through which He will not work. And in spite of which He will not accomplish His purposes. We see that demonstrated here in this passage as God brings to pass through the sinful actions of men exactly what he said would happen in Genesis 25, 23 but this is not a mere matter of just seeing ahead of time what would happen and prophesying it but we see that God brings to pass through the sinful actions of men in Genesis 27. Exactly what we are told in later scripture, God purposed to bring about. God had chosen Jacob, not Esau. We're told in Romans 9. And it is through the sinful actions of men that God brings about his purpose to bless Jacob and not Esau. We see this demonstrated again in Peter's sermon in Acts 2. Alongside holding up, pardon me, alongside holding his hearers responsible for Jesus' death, Peter says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified. Men were at their worst at the cross. 
crucifying the Lord of glory. But God was working for redemptive purposes. The Savior was saving as men were sinning. As men sinned by killing Jesus, God was providentially unfolding His rescue mission. Jesus was dying for the sins of men, even as men were sinning by killing Him. God, who worked out His plan in spite of, and even by means of, the sinful actions recorded in Genesis 27, in the incident of Isaac's blessing of Jacob. God, who worked out His plan in spite of, and even by means of, the sinful actions involved in the crucifixion of Jesus. This God will work out His plan in spite of, and even by means of, the sin that happens in your life. Whether committed by you, or whether committed against you. God will bring His purposes to pass. In spite of, and even by means of, the sin that happens as you make your way through life. Even our sin cannot thwart God's plan. Even the sin of others against us cannot thwart God's plan. As we read and considered earlier, From Luke 24, we ought not to be like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, who assumed that because evil happened, and because evil appeared to have won, that evil actually had won. We ought not to make that assumption. We ought not to look around us at the evil happening in the world or the way that evil appears to be winning, and think that God's purposes are being thwarted. We learn from Genesis 27, as well as other places in Scripture, that these things must be happening because God has decreed them. Why? We don't know. Remember, God's providence is often surprising. But God's decree and His unfolding of providence in human history extends even to the evil actions, the sinful actions of both men and angels. So even when evil appears to be winning, evil isn't winning. God is working out His purposes. Think then of your own sin. Maybe it appears that evil is winning in your inner being, in your inner man. But if you belong to Christ Jesus, God is using even your own sin for the purposes of 
that He has for you and for the people around you. As I said earlier, that's obviously not an excuse to sin then. We're responsible for our actions and we ought not to sin. But it's a great comfort. It's a great reassurance when we do sin. That we're not the cog in the wheel of the universe. That is just going to get in the way of what God would otherwise be doing if it weren't for us. And as we consider the sins of others against us, we are also to apply this truth and recognize that simply because others have sinned against us, even in heinous ways, horrible, grievous ways, we ought not to think that God's purposes are not being fulfilled and not being brought to pass. God's providence which serves His purposes is at work. God's surprising providence is at work. And God's providence which extends itself even to the sinful actions of men is at work. Even in the sin that people commit against us. God is in the business of bringing His purposes to pass in the midst of and even by means of the sin that occurs every day in this fallen world. We see that in Genesis 27 and we see that at the cross among other places. God is at work to accomplish His purposes even in the midst of sinful events. So if you are a Christian, if you are trusting in Christ Jesus, you belong to Him. You're under His care. Go home tonight sleep in peace. Under the care of a good, loving, sovereign Heavenly Father who is unfolding providence always in every circumstance including sinful ones to fulfill His purpose. For any who may be listening who haven't yet trusted in Christ Jesus trust in the one whose death appeared to be the victory of evil trust that as Jesus died on the cross it wasn't actually the victory of evil but God was bringing his purposes to pass by means of even that sinful event, the murder of the Son of God, which He had decreed from eternity past. He hung there on that cross to save sinners. He hung there on that cross to be the substitute for those who had broken God's law, to suffer the punishment that they deserved after offering up the obedience that they should have. 
if any listen who haven't yet trusted in Christ Jesus. Trust. Trust. And then find the reassurance and the comfort for your souls that we Christians have. That even in sinful events, our good, loving, and sovereign Heavenly Father is working out that which He decreed. He is unfolding providence just as He intends. Even in the sinful things that happen in order to accomplish His purposes.